0: Welcome to WBC. Uh, There's some dodgy opinions out there on the internet, isn't there? I'm sure yours are all fantastic opinions and you only ever speak the truth. How many people only ever speak the truth? How many people speak their own truth and hope that it... No. Uh, But (laughs) I'm a child of the 90s, so I grew up with the X-Files. The truth is out there. And of course, if there's anything the internet has proven, it's the truth is more out there than you ever, ever... Ever realized. Uh, well, that is the truth of the human heart, at least the truth that we tell ourselves. We anchor our lives as Christian people, we anchor our lives on Christ, on the on the miraculous nature of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that miracle created a movement which developed into this church thing that we do. And this is the story that we keep telling because we realize as we realize that it transforms lives. In Exodus chapter 20, we were given these commandments, the very famous Ten Commandments, and we've been going through this series. And calling it rules to live by because that's what the commandments are. They are rules to live by. Hey, if you've missed any of our series, you can go back and check out the socials, check out the YouTube and the app and all of the things. By the way, again, just a reminder, if you've got the WBC Church app here in the in the room or at home, you can open the notes today and you can look at the notes as we go through the message. And you can cheat, get right through to the end of the message, understand what it's all gonna be, and get out early for a for a coffee if you want. No, actually just stay here, that'd be great. But Here, the first five commandments, the first five commandments are about our relationship straight to God. And as Pastor Stan said last week, the commandments we've been talking about over these last couple of weeks are the second set, the second set of five, which are these ones, honor your father and mother, no murder, no adultery, no stealing, no lies about your neighbor, no lusting after your neighbor's uh, house or wife or servant or maid or ox or donkey. And I'm glad to say I have not, I have not been jealous of my neighbor's ox or donkey lately. So I just think that's a win, right? That's a win. Haven't been jealous of the ox and donkey. These ones are all about what we do in relation to God and others. This is about self-governance and community governance. This is about caring for the community. And the two we want to look at today are these two. No murder, no lies about your neighbour. And as Pastor Stan said last week, you know, sometimes you read these things and you think, done, haven't done that, all good, all good, can walk away. But I just want to pitch to you an idea that these two are directly connected. And they're directly connected because they are two things that help us stay alive. You know you've got it in your head, don't you? <laughs> Everyone. Ha, 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 stay alive, stay alive. Were they an Australian band, an English band, or an American band? Ha, <laughs> ha. These two are about staying alive. This is our rule to live by today. These commandments were we'll put there to help us stay alive. Don't murder. Pretty good idea. Don't murder. Don't lie. Don't bear false witness. Great idea. And it feels like one of those ones that should be super easy for us to do and potentially one that we've, you know, just it's we don't even have to be told. But if it was written there like that, chances are we have to be told. Don't make me come in there and tell you again. Do I really have to say this again? Any parents out there, any teachers, anybody that leads anybody, there are times in your leadership where you think, I've said this a thousand times. And then, of course, the classic is good old Uncle Ted comes in and he says it and the kids go, oh, yeah, that's great, Uncle Ted. You think I've been telling you that for calm blue ocean, serenity now, you have these moments. There's this beautiful moment in Exodus 20 where we see the commandments laid out. Later on, in the first five books of the Bible, which are the books of Moses, the Torah, the Jewish scriptures, in Deuteronomy, they they have this unpacking of those scriptures. And it says this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, Next time your child asks you, next time your child asks you, What are these requirements and regulations and rules that God, our God, has commanded mean? What do they actually mean? Tell your child, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and God powerfully intervened and got us out of that country. He pulled us out of there so he could bring us here and give us the land he so solemnly promised to our ancestors. There's a promise there. That's why God commanded us to follow these rules, so that we would live reverently before God, our God, as he gives us good life, keeping us alive. What are these rules about? Staying alive, keeping us alive for a long time to come. And then it says this, it will be a a self-set right and put together life for us if we make sure that we do this entire commandment. Now, wait for it. That doesn't say commandments. It says entire commandment. Note that. That we could do this entire commandment in the presence of God. The only way you can keep these commandments is really in the presence of God. It's it's not that Christians are the most moral people in the world. There are moral people that don't have a faith. That's that's an easy one to put out there, right? But there's something different about those who follow these commandments in the presence of God. Because in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. And fullness of joy comes from fullness of life. And fullness of life comes from staying alive by following these commandments. Are we following so far? So today is about staying... (laughs) Huh, huh? Should have got the Musos to do that. Now, that's the Old Testament. Moses wrote it. Fantastic. Great. Good for those Egyptians. Good for those people that had felt that journey. Now, what they're explaining in that Deuteronomy passage is there are going to be kids who didn't experience this. Kids that don't know what your parents went through, right? Right. And the parents need to teach the children so that we can pass this on. So there's a first generation that actually experiences the deliverance of God. And then there's generations after that that need to be told about the deliverance. Obviously there's a sense of when you've experienced it, you've internalized it and you can remember it and it makes perfect sense to you. But that scripture says in Deuteronomy, when your child asks you, tell them this. It's about the promise of God. It's about delivery. It's about about no longer being a slave. It's about stepping into the promise. It's about getting the inheritance that he promised to us it's about staying alive and being full of joy that's what it's about and that feels great but fast forward thousands and thousands of years and I've never been a slave and I've never been I've never been held captive by by a foreign nation to 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 build stuff for them for no pay and potentially die there having left no legacy I've never had to do that fast forward to galatians paul is writing to the church in galatia and he says this thus we have been set free to experience our rightful heritage for you today these commandments are still about your rightful heritage you can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted as his own children because god sent the spirit of his son into our father uh, into our lives sorry crying out Papa, Father, Abba, Father. You've heard that before, right? There is a beautiful blessing. Can we just go back to that one for a sec, mate? Uh, Pastor Stan before uh, was talking about pastor's kids. And I'm just going to say that the pastor, that's that's my kid today. So shout out to my kids. Yeah. Yeah. My, you know, our kids are perfect, aren't they, Jodes? Exactly. Because we raised them good and stuff. (laughs) I'm a pastor's kid, it's all right, the therapy's working. (laughs) You have a rightful heritage, but you come as a child. Remember Deuteronomy? When a child asks you, what are these about? We are people of faith and we come as children. And we come to our papa, our father, and we ask him what this is about. Because staying alive is more than just writing these commandments down and sticking them on the wall so that you read them. It's actually about internalizing them and experiencing how they change your life and the lives of those around you. You can experience the presence of God, the life-changing Word of God, and you can experience these commandments at work in your life. You don't have to have been dragged out of a foreign nation as a slave to understand what these are about. So it goes on to say, doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God, make it plain that you are not a slave. You're not a slave, but a child. And if you're a child, you're also an heir with complete access to to the inheritance. Again, that Deuteronomy passage talks about the promise of God, the inheritance of God. In that case, it was the Israelites being promised the land, the promised land. It talks about them being children of God. This is who we are. If you internalize these rules to live by, you won't just be staying alive, but you'll be staying truly alive. Because staying truly alive is everything. It's everything. When we come and we gather and we talk about these scriptures and we talk about the power of God in our lives and we, we baptize people or whatever it is and we see that testimony come forth, it's because life has indwelt in them through the power of the Holy Spirit, brought to us through this Word of God and it just keeps coming alive over and over and over again. These are not rules. These are not just laws. These are life-giving principles that help you live and stay truly alive so the two that we're looking at today no murder no lies about your neighbor no lies about your neighbor all right all good now you guys have heard that scripture where it says to sum up all of the law is to love the lord your god with the heart, soul, mind body drink. love your neighbor as yourself that's the greatest commandment right jesus said that jesus kind of famous guy jesus said that do you know you can find it in deuteronomy as well love god your god with the whole heart, love him with all that's in you, love him with all you've got. That's in that same passage where Moses is unpacking what the law is about so that even a child could understand it. So, if we come into his presence that we are rightful heirs to, we can come into his presence. If we understand that we have the inheritance of of real life in Jesus Christ, if we understand that we have access and we are fully adopted children of the King, then this is fully understandable. You start your day with this, love God, your God. You have to claim that He is your God. No one else can do that for you. With your whole heart. Now, in Hebrew, the heart didn't just refer to the ticker, right? It's, and I can't really say this, but I think it's leborb, is phonetic? Any, any Hebrew scholars out there? You guys online can send it through to us. But the heart is the center of mind, will, and emotions. It's not just the feeling that you have. It's the will that you have to do. It's the mind. It's the understanding of why you're doing it. Why, what, and how are all done in the heart. So all we're actually talking about is the health of our hearts that's it. Exodus 23, 7 brings these two laws together beautifully. It says, stay clear of false accusations. Pretty simple. But then it sort of doubles down on that because it says, this is what, this is what will happen. Stay clear of false accusations. Don't contribute to the death of innocent and good people. Did it ever occur to you that our false accusations can have a domino effect that literally can affect the life of another. So it's not even about you should just be a good little boy or good little girl and not tell a lie. It's about understanding why you shouldn't tell a lie. Don't contribute to the death of innocent people. Pretty straightforward. We shouldn't do that, right? But isn't it intriguing how that passage actually combines those two? That lying and murder can actually happen because of one another. The lie leads to the trouble, which leads to more trouble, which in the end we know that sin leads to death. That's what we've been saved from. Here's the bottom line human life is sacred, human hearts are complicated. Human life is sacred, human hearts are complicated. I have a friend right now that's sitting on a jury in the Supreme Court trying to be a juror for a murder case. And I had a bit of a chat to him about that. But it's not just, did they or didn't they? It's how did they and at what level did they and all that kind of stuff. There's nuance to all of these things. Whilst our entire community believes that murder is wrong, we also know that there's lots of things that go on in the hearts of the human that cause horrendous outcomes. And so we take them to trial and we give people the presumption of innocence and we do all of that because human life is sacred, yes, but human hearts are complicated. So it starts with a lie. Don't tell lies about your neighbour. Don't bear false witness is another way to understand that. I love this. Proverbs twenty-five eighteen says this. Like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow is one who gives testimony against a neighbour. Just this image of... What happens when someone's lying about you? How do you feel? Anyone ever had their character brought into question. You know that character assassination phrase that goes around? I remember sitting in a place a few years ago with three or four of my peers that genuinely believed that I'd done something that I hadn't. And there was no words I could use to explain it. There was no way of retelling the story where they would understand my point of view. I just knew that my integrity was on the line and the only thing I had was to say I didn't do that. And it was devastating and it was painful and I can only talk about it today because and I'm only talking about it vaguely obviously but I can only talk about it today because I've done the work and understood that there's frailty on both sides of that coin. But to impugn someone's character is a very, very, very big deal. The message sometimes puts it a little clearer and i do like this one anyone who tells lies against a neighbor in court or on the street not just in a court of law where you're judging something with a professional jury and a judge and all the rest of it but on the street is a loose cannon that's such an Aussie thing to say oh he's a bit of a loose cannon mate say baza yeah he's all right isn't he Pazza. it's great get him apart he's a bit of a loose cannon And Baz is funny, up until it's you in the firing line. Up until it's you in the firing line, right? We can have a snicker, we can have a giggle, but a loose cannon, not a good thing. Many of you would have studied uh, the play, The Crucible, the Arthur Miller play, The Crucible, and you probably did it in your VCE or or some sort of uh, English lit study. And there's a phenomenal speech that the character John Proctor gives towards the end of Act 4, where he's talking about, he's had to, for those who don't know, the play is is about the, um, the witch trials and the Salem witch trials and it's an allegory for all sorts of things, and you can go to your English Lit study on that. But this speech has always stood out to me because there's a point where there are several people about to be hung because they have simply been accused of siding with the devil and being witches. They haven't been, if you've read the story. But they've been accused of that, and the only way to stop themselves from being hung on the gallows is to confess that they have done that and to sign their name to that confession. And... And what, what John Proctor does is his character eventually breaks down and writes out his confession and then they say, you have to sign it. And he says this, but I can't because it's my name, because I cannot have another in my life, because I lie and sign myself to lies, because I am not worth the dust on the feet of them that hang, how, many I, how, how may I live without my name? I have given my soul, leave me my name. In other words, I'm desperately trying to protect the, these others i don't want to sell them out but i also don't want to sell out who i am because i have not done this thing and yet the community has judged me unfairly unjustly all of the above and yet the only thing i have left is the central part of who i am that that is my name we all have a sense of self that kicks in when injustice when unjust things happen to us do you know the name justin that i carry actually means just and upright so sometimes I get a little bit too just and upright my wife is nodding in the front row (laughs) this is all about attacking the personal integrity of another member of the community so to lie about someone else just to protect yourself that's what this law is saying don't do that Because you do not understand the power of that lie. Monsignor Charles Pope put it this way, the seriousness of a lie is gauged by the nature of the truth that it harms. Because you can't just say all lies are lies. Did you eat the cookie? No. Yeah, you did. I can see cookie crumbs. That's not cookie crumbs. That's a Twix. No. Some lies don't really have that much of a domino effect. So it is okay to understand that we are are talking about bearing false witness against another, lying to either lift yourself up, protect yourself, or put somebody else down. The seriousness of a lie is gauged by the nature of the truth that it harms. By the circumstances in which it occurs, the intentions of the one who lies and the harm suffered by the victims of the lie. There's a direct correlation Between the lie and the harm that the lie could cause. Matthew 5 34 says, You only make things worse when you lay down a smokescreen of pious talk. Isn't that great? So, even in religious life, there's this manipulative thing that can go on, and that's why we all have to discern the spirit of truth. We all have to be about that because even fantastically religious people can lie to you. Did you know that? I mean, hey, what a surprise. We haven't seen that much in the media, have we? <laughs> and I do like the way it says this: uh, you can't don't lay down a smokescreen of pious talk, saying "I'll pray for you" and never doing it, or saying "Oh God be with you" and not meaning it. I'll pray for ya. Cheers, bye. Pray for ya. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. Saying more words doesn't make them more true. It goes on to say, in making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. Just say yes and no. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. But sometimes it's you that's on the line. And if you say yes, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to cause you to miss out on that opportunity or it's going to allow your neighbor to, to get the opportunity when you wanted it. And sometimes you think, well, But if I said, maybe, maybe I could, you know, traverse this thing and maybe I could get a good outcome. And the scripture says, no, no, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. When you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. Don't lie. Don't bear false witness. But, but, but. What I love about Scripture is it then goes into, there's there's all sorts of biographical information about the humans and how they act. And one of my favorite moments is the moment where King David, the guy who would be king, is being pursued by Saul. He's trying to get away from Saul. He's just cut the robe off Saul's uh, off Saul's cloak, and then he's confessed. And he's, there's a whole bunch of things. And now he's being chased by not only Saul and his army, but other armies that are on board with Saul. And he's, he's supposed to be king, and he's going through this conflicted time. And he runs away, and he runs to the very people who were the enemies of Israel. Israel, the Philistines. He runs to them and one of the kings of the Philistines recognizes him and says, you're that David guy. When David realized that he had been recognized, he panicked. While they were looking at him, he pretended to go crazy, pounding his head on the city gate and foaming at the mouth, spit dripping from his beard. Have you ever read that passage and just thought, is that a lie? Is he lying at this point? Or is he just surviving? The measure of the lie is counterbalanced against the impact that it will have. This whole thing is about staying truly alive. There's a good chance that David doesn't live through that. David doesn't get to fulfil the promise and the anointing on his life. So, we are truly, we are about staying truly alive. Now, don't murder don't murder. Fair enough. You're like, no worries. Now, the King James in 1610 actually kind of uh, got this a little bit different, and they they interpreted the Hebrew word as the word kill. And so I said, do not kill, except that we kill things all the time. And people, just by the way. Uh, And there's lots and lots of complicated things. You can talk about just war. If anyone's ever studied uh, anything around ethics, you've used that term, just war. Is there ever a case where defending your nation... Using weapons to kill other people to defend your nation is just. Does this law stop you from defending yourself? And there's a whole... We don't have time for that lecture series right now, but I would suggest to you that if we go to that Hebrew word, which is harag, which means kill, the actual word written in Exodus 20 is the word rashach, which means murder, which is different, because that is a legal definition. It is taking the life of another illegally. Now, the laws of the land... Uh, Change all over the world. So we can't really go into that because all over the world, laws around this are slightly different. But what we can tap into is the moral law that is put in front of us to stay truly alive and understand this, that we should not take another life illegally. In John 8, Jesus is speaking about the truth and the truth will set you free. Very, very, very famous passage. And the religious leaders are all getting bent out of shape about it, that the truth will set you free. And he says, if God were your father, said Jesus, you would love me. Why can't you understand? One word I say, here's why. You can't handle it. And I love that. You can't handle the truth. You're from your father, the devil. Now, if you're going to be saying that to people, actually just don't say that to people. Jesus is probably the only one that can get away with that. And all you want to do is please him. He went on to say, he, the devil, was a killer from the very start. He couldn't stand the truth. Because there wasn't a shred of truth in him. Again, this is about internalizing the law so that the truth comes out, so that that's what governs you and affects those around you. Because there wasn't a shred of truth in him, when the liar speaks, he makes it up out of his lying nature and fills the world with lies. And I arrive on the scene, that's Jesus, I arrive on the scene and I tell you the plain truth and you refuse to have a thing to do with me. And yet, we're talking about these rules to live by that give us this incredible peace and this incredible balance and this incredible understanding of staying alive and staying truly alive. Now, real quick, there's a whole lot of, but what about? But what about just war? But what about self-defense? But what about abortion? But what about euthanasia? Human life is sacred, human hearts are complicated. I have friends in my life whose worlds have been rocked by people in their family being killed by a firearm in Australia. I have friends in my life that have walked that horrendous journey where they've terminated a pregnancy. I want to just put out there, there is no judgment at all. Certainly not from this pulpit. We walk with a fragile heart. And the heart is the mind, will and emotions. It's all of that coming together. And I would suggest to you that to be absolute about some of these things is to shut down people's ability to walk through that open door of salvation to Christ's love and grace because the sacrifice he made was once for all and it was enough. So if you've been impacted by any of those things I talked about, maybe you've served. Uh, uh, There are people in our congregation sitting in this room and, and at home that have escaped conflict and had to go through incredibly horrendous journeys of forgiveness of those Who caused harm. Yes, the human heart is fragile, but our God is so strong. And these rules that He gives us to live by are are rules that give us life. Not just a little bit of life, but life abundantly. Life abundantly. To stay truly alive, live the abundant life with Christ as your guide. I, I when I started to prepare prepare this message I, I looked I actually did I went and looked on uh, some of the, some of the sites of Australian law started to go through all the definitions of of what murder or the, you know the different levels of it's I I started and I stopped because there was no way for any for any people who are who who practice law here yes mhm mhm because it's not just yes or no, it's very, very nuanced, then it does consider the humanity of the people involved. What I can say is our nation finally abolished uh, capital punishment in 1973, but the last person was only let off death row in 1984. It's pretty recent history for us. There's, There's plenty of nations around the world that still practice this and defend it with a fair righteousness. But our law is there to govern the people and keep the community together. The moral law that God gives us in Exodus 20 that's described beautifully in Deuteronomy 6 where it says, when a child asks you, what are these even here for? Tell them you were rescued. Tell them you were given an inheritance. Tell them that they are a child of the King. And then to fast forward into that Galatians passage where Paul essentially echoes exactly the same thing. And maybe you haven't experienced anything like some of the testimonies I've shared with you today about people who have experienced trauma at the deepest level. But all of us at whatever level need freedom in Christ. We all need that salvation grace, that ability to think that today my Father loves me. I can come to Abba Father. I can call Him Papa. He is my God and my King and I come as a child. So when as a child I ask, how do these rules even work? Because God, it's not fair. The others aren't even obeying these rules. And in fact, they're lying about my character and they're assassinating my character. Yes, we use that word assassination because it feels like death on the inside. But He's a God that gives life and gives life abundantly. So to anchor your life and to live truly alive is to let Christ guide. We, We do that in all sorts of ways. We do that by gathering like we're doing today to encourage one another, to bless one another. We do that by getting into the Word. We talked about the quiet time tool. We do that by, by singing and by worshipping and by repeating songs that that, melodic, that melodies would get stuck in our head and internalised in our hearts because until it's internalised, it's just a bunch of rules on a page. When it's internalised, it's life-giving and it's a life spring. Spring up the well right from within us. All my fountains are in you. There's lots of those images through Scripture. But my friends, if I'd encourage you to do one thing today. Remember that the rules are pretty impossible to follow unless you know why they were given to you and by whom they were given to you. The who is everything. Because a God that loved his children put these in play and it helped establish community and it helped establish the most famous nation on earth and it helped establish the worldwide church and it helped give hope to billions and billions and that hope is there for all. For all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I hope that today you've seen that and you're thinking, I've never murdered anyone. I've never slandered anyone to that extent, but these rules still apply. Because anything that stops you from living truly alive in Christ is getting in the way of a gift that he has promised you, an inheritance that he has handed to you, and a blessing that he covers you with. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that we are no longer slaves. We thank you that you've rescued us. We thank you that you've brought us in to your good promise and in your presence is fullness of joy and in that fullness of joy is fullness of life. Help us to live guided by your word, guided by these laws that are laws that give life not just laws that that make us stressed out and worried that we're not following them well enough, but laws that give life. Lord, if there's anything between heaven and our hearts today, I pray that we would be humble enough to confess our sin and ask that you would forgive us of that sin. Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. and Lead us not into temptation. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen.